We're back. Episode 12 now of the New Levels Coaching Podcast. I'm going to put my clapper down because I've got my brew that I want to tuck into. So you'll have heard the loud clapper bang, which has become tradition. Uh, delighted to be joined by Sonia Samuels this week. We're going to talk all things marathon. But remember, New Levels Coaching Podcast is the pod that brings the endurance world lots of inspiration and education so you can literally go away and run with it. Before I ask Sonia about what she's been up to, I'm rather jealous. She's just got back from warmer climates and it's been very cold here in the UK. I thought I'd give you a little bit of an intro and background about Sonia's past and current and present and maybe a little bit about the future as well. But uh, Sonia and I grew up together in the northeast of England. She was a an inspirational athlete in our setting because she used to win everything. So we would look up to as junior athletes. And Sonia was quite famous for winning a lot of the northeast and cross countries. She went on to become a multiple Team GB representative, whether that was on the cross, the road, uh, went to the Olympics for the marathon, which is why we're here to talk all things marathon. She still is an athlete, but Sonia will be first to tell everybody that she is a full-time mum and part-time athlete these days. And thrown in the mix, she's also one of our New Levels coaching coaches to add into that little story now. But she is a very, very proud mother. And I think she's amazing uh, and a very big inspiration to a lot of mums out there to show you that you can still achieve things that you want to achieve, particularly with your running life. Because Sonia, if anything, isn't just going at the same speed. She's potentially getting even faster as she goes, which I think is amazing. So thank you for coming on, Sonia. That's a pleasure. And yes, we will talk all things marathon. But before we get on to all things 26.2 miles, what have you been up to over the last few weeks? So about four weeks ago, we went to Monte Gordo in Portugal. We originally only went for two weeks, but we came back and the weather was awful. We literally were here for two days and got a flight back out. The plan was to come back last week, but the weather looked awful. So we decided to stay and we came back yesterday. So yeah, I've pretty much spent the whole month in Monte Gordo. Working on wow. my tan as well as my marathon miles. <laughs> what came first, the tan or the marathon miles? Ooh, I'd say the red wine, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it is very, very nice. Uh, well, food and drink out yeah. in Portugal. I do love it for, for training, and it does provide the perfect setting at this time of year when it is getting a little bit cold over here. Yeah. You've obviously got Valencia Marathon coming up this weekend, this Sunday. Right, yeah. We're all traveling out to, to Valencia, which would be cool. I don't know about you, but... But as a coach, I, I think Valencia falls at a really good time um, because after the summer, I feel like it gives people a little bit of time to, to almost get back into their marathon training, that marathon training block. Whereas over the summer, a lot of people tend to struggle, particularly the people who we coach, because it's a very social time mm. the summer. Have you found that with your own training? Yeah, I think, yeah, the summer holidays are very busy. It's always a time to go on holiday with your family and enjoy some family time. So trying to fit in that, start that marathon build-up can be a little bit hectic for some people. And I think if you've run a spring marathon as well, it just gives you that little bit longer to recover, have some downtime, family time, and then come back September and think, right, I'm going to start my marathon build-up before Christmas, which is a really exciting time as well. I can't wait for Christmas. Gemma will be first to tell you I am like Mr. Christmas. I'm very much the opposite of Scrooge. I love it. Uh, So much so we've had Christmas tunes belting already. And uh, yeah, we will have them belted out in Valencia (laughs) as well. So before we go on to kind of the Valencia build up and and more marathon specific training, when was your last marathon, Sonia? Just to put people in the Um, picture. Last September. As in September 22, which was Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the plan was never to do a spring marathon. I think as I've got older, 
I'm not going to say my age, of course. As I've got older, I just need that little bit more time in between. I think because, you know, I spent the last 12 years running marathon, I don't feel the need to do two a two year or whatever. So I decided to take the spring off, maybe work on my 10K half marathon times and then with the view of doing Valencia later in the year. And the half marathon time came down, is that right? Um, it Recently? Was pre- I pretty much equaled my pre-faith um pb um which is good i never I, I didn't quite get in the race where i could actually really get that pb um my best performance obviously came in the great north run um which is not the flattest of courses and it was a pretty hot day tough course so, yeah. yeah so i never i never quite hit that pb but still it was a great performance and i think just doing that that 10k half marathon training has put me in good fitness for going into the build-up I was watching the Great North and I remember you saying to me before, do you think I'll be able to get on the elite start at Great North? And I was like, I think you'll be able to get on the elite start at Great North, so you? But Apparently they had to have this meeting about whether they were going to let me have an elite start number. No, I think that's Gareth winding you yeah, up. Yeah, well, and I was just like, do you know what? I, I don't mind. I don't mind starting on the other <laughs> line. It's absolutely fine. But yeah, they gave me elite start. And yeah, I thought, well, I've got to prove them right now, so... You did very yeah. much so, but yeah. what what was it like being being from the northeast? And I I always watch the Great North Run with a bit of pride, being from from the area. And it, it is it's one of the kind of flagship events, isn't it, for us northeasterners? What was it like to perform so well on that stage? Yeah, I think you know going back to being a junior, they have the junior Great North Run there, and I remember winning that in like. <clears throat> 1995. 1995. Uh, yeah. 95. Uh, wow. 96, maybe. Um, and it's always such a huge thing in the calendar as a Northeast, someone from the Northeast. So I think doing the Great Northern was something that I always wanted to do. It just didn't fit because I was either racing a lot in the summer or I had a marathon coming up. It just didn't quite fit. So when I had the opportunity of doing Valencia later in the year and maybe doing the Great North when I decided, right, this is my opportunity. Um, I knew I was in great shape having done the shorter stuff in a couple of other halves. So I kind of went in there with a mindset of I've got nothing to lose. Like I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I'm just going to go out there and enjoy it. And it was great because I was like high-fiving the kids. The, the amount of support, on I've never experienced anything. There were so many people out there. It might have been because the sun was shining. But like it was just an amazing atmosphere. And running down that seafront, oh my goodness, it was it was amazing. So... Yeah, it was just just soaking up that atmosphere, soaking up that positive energy was was brilliant. I've done it once, uh, the Great North Run. I loved it. As you say, the atmosphere was incredible. And I think if you go there and embrace it, I think there's a a real good lesson for our listeners and and viewers that when you do take in that atmosphere and really soak it up, it can help you. Um, Some people can get a little bit carried away with it at the start. I've seen people just like running down, high-fiving everyone and taking sweets and all sorts of stuff. I thought, oh, God, you better be careful. But I think, yeah, there, there was something else you touched on earlier as well about... Uh, I really liked when you said it has it didn't fit with plans. Um, yeah. We get a lot of people who want to do the Great North Run, and I don't think it's the best position for people who are doing an autumn marathon. Yeah, like if you, I had one athlete that was doing Berlin, and like I said, I said to them, look, like it's a tough course. It's it's slightly uphill, downhill. It's rolling. It's going to take something out the legs. So to run a marathon two weeks later is quite a tough ask. I mean, some yeah. people do it, but it is one of those. It's one of one of the hardest half marathons I've done because I did feel pretty beat up for about a week afterwards. And you have to take that into account if you're tapering for a marathon or even if you've got other races coming up, training. You have to then think, right, I really need an easier week 
after Great North Run because it's not an easy course to run. No, that big hill down to the seafront as well, which really, really slams short. the quads, yeah, it isn't does. it? I, at one point, I thought, oh, my legs are going to buckle here. It's it's so steep yeah. going down. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think you referred to it before as well about not doing two marathons in the same year as, as we get older, and we all are getting older, by the way, every single one of us. Yeah. Um, but you do have to consider that rest and regeneration period. We, we did a, a great podcast with Matt Long. We spoke about that rest and regeneration. I think a lot of people tuning in here will, I think we all fall into this trap. Sometimes we think we're at just the same age and we can just bounce yeah, off things, yeah. but we don't as much, do we, as, as we start to no, get a bit and I older? Think the other thing as well is I think if you've had a really good marathon, you're really eager and keen to get back running the following week, whereas actually... Your body's just like, it's not just the race. It's the three months you put your body through mm. to prepare for the marathon. It's like, you need a couple of a couple of months downtime. It's like, you don't have to not run for two months. But if you just take that 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 view, well, I'm going to have a couple of months easy. just Because I, I know after Berlin, I literally what didn't do much for uh, six months almost. Oh, wow. And okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I fell down a pothole and twisted my ankle. But... I think it was the best thing for me because it made me just take that step back because I just don't think you can be on it all of the time. Um, but going back to the age thing as well, I do think it takes longer to recover. Even after hard sessions, you just need that bit longer to recover. So races as well, you have to choose them. You can't race you know, every couple of weeks like you do when you're younger. You just need that little bit more time. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just respecting where you are in your your career, I suppose. Yeah, and we see, like we are with you, some amazing performances as as people get older, particularly in the women's marathon. Mm. And but we're starting to see it on the men's side as well that people well into their thirties. Chris Thompson's a really good example, yeah, one yeah. of our good friends, and and he's performing well. And I sometimes think to myself, yeah, we're now maybe respecting our bodies a little bit more, and we're giving ourselves time. But maybe we've just learned as well. Yeah, I, I actually th- with comes it comes with experience. I think you learn that it's not the be-all and end-all. It's like, you know, you need to enjoy it more because I think when you're 20 and you're just kind of like thrashing out, chasing times, chasing qualifying times, trying to be better all the time, it's just, yeah, you just need to take a step back and enjoy it for what it is. It's running at the end of the day. And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying about people running better as they're older, I think it's just because they've got a little bit more understanding about themselves a bit more balance maybe in their lives if they've got a family they've got to balance their family and it is just kind of enjoying it for what it is well that's one of the areas i want to touch on as we go through the, today's episode is balancing things mm. with especially with mummy life but before we do um how's the training block been into valencia has it been has it been big i mean give people a a, a a little bit of an insight into like weekly volume, for example, because that might shock a few of our listeners. Yeah, so I, I mean, before I had Faith um, three years ago, um, we're, we're going back to the last marathon I did before that it was 2019. And I would I would be running like 100, 110 miles a week. Um, most, most days, twice a day. So I would do big session in the morning, a bit of a shakeout in the afternoon. Um, but that's changed significantly. So... Obviously, I've got older. I've had a, I've had a baby. I have less time, so I kind of said to my coach Andy Hopthall, um, "Let's just. I don't want to. I, I don't have the time to run twice a day. So we have to make the mornings count when I have that time to do it. So now we're looking at like seventy, seventy-five, maybe tops yeah. uh, per week, which is still a lot, but it's it's quite a reduction. But I think what I have there is I have I I run a lot more steadier, a lot more." 
quality stuff in the time that I have. I don't do the easy shakeout runs or anything like that. So it has completely changed in the last five years or whatever. Um, but I think again, with with being a bit older, um, I have I have a lot of running in my legs already. Yeah. So I don't feel like I need to be bashing out 110 miles a week now. And that was going to be my next question: Is do you feel like that's almost set you up to do what you do now? Because I know a lot of people talk about that. And almost the accumulation of training that you've had is is helpful as long as you respect it and you don't yeah. keep trying to do the same levels. Yeah, I think I think we all have that amount of time where you can be throwing throwing in those 110 miles a week, but there comes a time when the body just needs to do that little bit less because you have that in in the legs. Your legs don't forget how to run. No, you know those miles. So I think it is just being confident in what you have already done, what you've got in the legs. And taking it from there. I think there's, yeah, something to be said about that for anybody at any level because people will be sat here thinking, well, I don't do 110 miles a week and I never have done. And we're not saying that you have to. But what we are saying is if you've had some really good training blocks mm. over a period of time, you know, sometimes year after year, you don't always have to keep increasing the training, which is the trap people yeah. sometimes fall and, into. And what I say to people as well is like people say, right, I want to be running like 60 miles a week in this build up. And I'm like, why 60? Yeah. Where's, where's, that, come where's that come from? Yeah. At the end of the day, we have to find almost that sweet spot where we can consistently run well for you know that three months it doesn't have to be 60 it could be 40 yeah you know it's just finding that balance that works for you and it and it, like I say it could be 40 it doesn't have to be 60 uh, and then it comes down to the argument like why does it have to be in a week you know we, we talk about yeah. things about like not necessarily being in a seven-day schedule and I know you're really good with this because we train with you sometimes yeah. and you'll say oh what have you got on Tuesday I'm going to do a session on Tuesday and then you'll do something at the weekend like a race or a hard session and then you'll turn around and say actually you know what guys I'm not going to go Tuesday I'm actually going to go Wednesday this week yeah, I'm going yeah. to give myself a day extra recovery yeah. but I think people become so fixated on this seven day schedule and my session has to be a Tuesday my long run has to be a Sunday they're not prepared to adapt and as yeah. a result you can almost end up either overdoing it or certainly it's kind of red line risk isn't it yeah or getting injured yeah you have to stay flexible and that's what I hope that comes out of my coaching like I will set a very vague plan of where we're going to do things, but I'll say to them, look, I'm not going to fill all the gaps in because I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks' time. It might be you've got something on at work or you've got a family thing and we need to shift things around. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You have to, it has to be right for you. It has, you have to be ready to go and do that big session. I think as coaches, one of the big kind of learnings I've had over the years is that athletes almost feel like a slave to the plan because they feel like they need to impress us mm. as, as coaches they yeah. almost feel bad if they miss something yeah. and, and I try to stress the importance of saying to them no if, if you told me that you really needed a day off for the right reasons yeah. I'd actually be really proud of you for making that decision yeah. but they almost feel like they're letting you down in a way because they're not going to do what's on the schedule yeah, and it's absolutely yeah it's, it's funny to think that because if you think about the way you work with your coach it's almost you can see where that mentality is coming from but it is having that rapport and that communication. Look, I just don't feel it today. Mm -hmm. I just need a day off or whatever. Because that's that's what makes the coaching work. Being being honest, having that communication with each other. Yeah, that open, honest, two-way dialogue and two-way yeah. communication where they're honest with you, you're honest with them. And I think this, we all have 
athletes from time to time who just want a day off I've been there myself again yeah. we've done it we're just yeah. like actually I just can't be asked today yeah. I just yeah. want a day off but uh, as long as you're not doing that too often in the training cycle yeah. if you've been honest with yourself and saying actually I'm just knackered yeah. and I just need time it doesn't have to be that you're ill either does it I think that's the thing people think oh no I have to be injured or ill to have a day off no you don't yeah, it might have been like you slept really badly or your, your son or your daughter's been up all night, they're not well, and then you, you've got to respond that to that because otherwise you're just going to run yourself into the ground. It's it's a really good point, and I think people will be listening thinking, God, I, I fall into that category. Like, I'm that type of person, so I think it's a really important learning and coaching point to take away that we're not judging you as coaches. Yeah, absolutely not. And don't be afraid to take that, that time. Okay, I want you to pick out a couple of things, particularly from the last block, but maybe even previous blocks as well. What's your favorite marathon workout? Is the one that stands out where you think, I actually I want that to be in the schedule? Oh, so it's like it's those long long efforts with a float so for example you do your 5k for like 4 by 5k or 5 by 5k with the float my favorite one that I did this time was 8 by 3k off a k float it's just 32k and that was just brilliant for my head it really took my I, I actually ran with um another really good athlete who is also a competitor as well so I put myself in that position where I actually invited her to the session because it was almost like race practice, right? Okay. Um, and I remember, I remember her, her bobbing along it. That you know, the first couple of reps, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling too good today. And it was that whole mind game that you get in the marathon. It was really good practice. So something like that is really good, not only to practice drinks, shoes, kit, your mental um, strength as yeah. well, which is really important. People forget about that. So let's not just the physical stuff. Absolutely not. Especially with, we we touched on that just last week in our pod with Jethro and Gemma about almost the the longer the distance, um, the more thinking time you've yeah, got. Yeah. And and every event, no matter if it's you know four hundred meters, one hundred meters, there's a lot of mental of the side goes into it because you'll be thinking a lot before the event. Yeah. But in the hundred meters, you've not got much time to think. You're probably not even thinking at yeah. all. But the marathon, you've got a lot of time to think. Yeah, and that's a problem. You go through bad and good patches as well and it's it's weathering those bad patches and knowing when to shut that little voice up that's telling you you want to stop you know you get to that I know you get to 35k and you're just like you just want someone to say look you can stop now and sit down but it's yeah it's practicing what you're going to say to yourself in those moments it's almost like you have to rehearse it yep. and know exactly what to say to yourself to shut that voice up. Yeah, we call it the mental toolkit, filling up your, your mental toolkit so you know. And and almost imagining it is what I really like about the Steve Peters work, the chimp paradox is yeah. it's it's part of you, but it's almost another side of you. You know, it's that chimp who's on your shoulder yeah. telling you you can't do it. But have that conversation in your head with with the chimp, mm. you know, say, no, I'm just going to box you down. I know yeah. that you're, you're going to be there and I'm going to recognize you're going to be there. But I knew you were coming. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a really important point. Let's let's digest and, and break down that session a little bit. So 8 by 3 k I actually seen that session. I really liked it. And we did a shorter version of it just because Gemma's coming back from uh, ultra training. But I really like those uh, 3, 4, 5K blocks where they have the float recoveries. And what we mean by a float recovery, I think it's really important to cover this because I think some people get a little bit confused by this in, in their training block. A float recovery means it's it's an active recovery. It's continuous running. And for Sonia, and I'm going to imagine it was done at a fair, a fair clip, so it's still done at a decent pace. Yeah, it's usually like, for example, if you're doing those efforts at marathon pace, 
you're talking about a 30 second differential over a K. Yeah. So for example, if you're running 3.30 for the effort, you would then run four minutes for your for your float. So it's it's reasonably quick. So then you get a pretty decent average. And if you think about it, it's a whole 32 Ks worth of effort at a really good pace. Yeah. And the beauty of that is the majority of that is done, what 24K of it is done at the like faster end. Pace, yeah. yeah, effort. Yeah, which gives you a lot of confidence walking away from that. And then there's the flip side of some people do those type of sessions and they struggle with them mentally because they, even though they're able to maybe hit marathon pace, we'll say we'll say pace yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with, you know, open bracket, close bracket, yeah. um, effort, and they think, God, how am I going to do that for a marathon? And I think be fair to say that sometimes it's really hard to hit exact marathon pace in a training block. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you just go, actually, I wasn't quite there today. Yeah, I, I think that's why I tend to say, let's go at marathon effort. What feels like marathon effort to yeah. you? And it might be five or 10 seconds per K slower. It, it's not a big deal. At the end of the day, we're saving this for race day. You know, this is just training. I, you don't need to impress me like we go back to what we said before. It's not about impressing the coach. It's not about what's on the Garmin. We're just practicing for race day. Yeah. Now I'm going to go almost down the line here and say, right, well, this is at the elite end of the field. You know, we're talking mid-220s, runners at the front end. Um and then we've got runners who are going to run three hours, four hours. And I'll pick all the round numbers out, five hours, six hours. I yeah. think the cutoff in Valencia is five and a half, actually. Um, I'm going to go right back to people who are going to look to complete that distance maybe for the first time or they're looking to beat their PB and they're in, in the five hours. And we're going to say to them, right, they're going to also do a big, big workout, a big marathon workout. I think it's really important to say, look, that the principles can be the same. You mm -hmm. can do some real quality work within a big long run, yeah. but you could break that down with some walking. Yeah. And as long as it's like that active recovery, but it's also that great chance for them to practice things that you've already mentioned, practicing your drinks, practicing your gels, exactly. dress yeah. rehearsal. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're all going to be out there covering that 26.2 miles. So that's what we need to practice doing. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what we're doing. It doesn't matter how we do it. Um, but yeah, we, we just need to, make sure that we're ready for that i think it's just a such a good um training exercise i'm surprised you said it was your favorite because often people go oh god they're the ones i hate but i love the fact you said it's your favorite it probably shows where your head's at with the marathon that's why you love it so much yeah i think do you know if you take me back six months i'll be like oh no more like a 10k kind of workout i think it it, it does depend where you're at and you build up in your fitness like this is what i'm saying you know you know sometimes when you talk to your athletes you're like oh how am i gonna do that it's like well you know, you haven't, we're not in the specific stuff yet. You can't say three months out, oh, I'm never going to run that pace because you haven't done the three months work for it. We've got we've got a podcast coming up on that exact thing and, and Matt Long, who is going to come back on and do that pod with, with me, he talks about, and it actually comes back from the Oregon days, the, the Bill Bauman days around, what is your pace now yeah. at the time you're at compared to where the pace that you, you want to be at? And it's very different when you start a training block. Because it's funny because a lot of your athletes will say to you, oh, eight, 12 weeks out. Oh, so what pace do you think I can run for the marathon? And I'll just turn around and say, I have no idea. Yeah, let's find out. I say, I say once, you get your, once you get your act together and do some training, I'll let you know two weeks out. Yeah. And, and I get people hate that because, and there is an element of, 
you know, we've got to be able to plan training and we want them to be in certain zones and things. But I think right early at the training block, they want to know what their marathon effort pace is going to be, their half marathon effort pace is going to be. Mm. That's why we use the term effort because we don't know exactly what that pace is going to be. Because your pace will change over that time as you get fitter. 100%, yeah, 100%. that's why we can't nail it down exactly. Yeah, and it's not an exact science either. I, I go as far to say that often the people who hit their race paces in training are the ones who can't actually hit it in the races I I see a common trend with that Mm. and the ones who are actually a little bit behind race pace the ones who can elevate their game on race day and actually run faster than what they do in training yeah definitely okay what's the one thing or might be multiple times you might see it on the schedule that you don't necessarily look forward to on the schedule oh do you know what I keep saying this every time it's when it's like minute efforts like 20 by a minute on a minute off and you think oh that's fine I can do that It's, it's not a lot at all Oh, it's so hard because you're like you're hitting a different zone, aren't you? Yeah. Just it's not you don't feel comfortable again. Never feel um, comfortable on that session. So yeah, I, it's that it gets me every time, and I'll message my coach. I'll be like, I did not enjoy that. You know, it's it's one of those sessions I described it to someone the other day. It's like it looks great on paper. It does. It looks easy. Yeah, you underestimate it. You go into it. I think, thinking, oh, I'll be all right with this. That's so, exactly it. I, and I said that's the the problem I see with it. Even if it's ten by a minute, twenty by a minute, whatever it is, people look at it and go, oh, that's going to be all right. Yeah. And you start running fast, and you think, jeepers, I've got another nineteen of these to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. it, and it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. It gives you that license to open up a bit and you're feeling great to start off with. And then the penny drops. And you think, have I got to sustain this yeah. pace? For the, and it's still, if you're doing 20 by a minute on, minute off, it's 40 minutes total exactly. volume. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I'm glad you said that. I literally had that conversation just the other day with an athlete. Yeah, it's, it's that one every time. Yeah. I see, see, I would love that as a middle distance runner. I like the shorter stuff. I, I, the, the longer stuff's the stuff where I really struggle to kind of keep focused. Yeah, you've got all those fast twitch fibers, you see. That's what it is. Okay, so the, that's your, your favorite sessions and some maybe you don't, don't dislike. What about tips for not just not just the running? You've said as you've you know got older, you've had to look after the body more mm. and focus on rest and recovery. What else would you suggest people be putting in their marathon plans that you see as essential part of a marathon build-up? So it's not just about the running. It's definitely a bit about the S&C. You think of how many steps you take in the marathon. I did work it out once, but I can't remember what they were. Anyway, <laughs> you, you went away and analysed your own? Yeah, I worked, it out with, I worked it out with a physio once. And he was like, so you're putting that, you're putting five times your body weight through that foot every time. And it was a lot of steps. Yeah. So you need to be making sure your feet are strong, your calves are strong, your glutes are strong. 100%. You know, you need to be doing that. It's not just about because if your body is not strong enough, the marathon is going to find you out because like it's a lot of steps putting that body through um through, through your your joints and everything. So it really is for me definitely a bit of essence in there as well. Um plenty of stretching as you get older. <laughs> I keep saying as you get older, you definitely need to be more stretching because it's stretching more because you you do tighten up quite a lot and especially your calves as well, I've noticed. Tell never, me about it. I've never had problems <laughs> with my calves and in the last couple of years I've had twingy calves. Do you think that, so this is my theory on it, um, the shoe technology, I think it demands a lot of the, the calves and the feet, the yeah. sponginess of the yeah. shoes. Yeah, I just... I'm the same. I just get battered. That, and I think as well, like, um, obviously not producing as much collagen as well. And the elasticity isn't yeah. there like it used to be. So it really is taking care of yourself, stretching, doing that strength stuff um, for sure as you get older. Because they do say, 
you need to be doing more kind of um, weightlifting and stuff like that because obviously your muscles are degenerating yes. a lot quicker as you get older. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Protein intake as well maybe should be going up in relation to that as well, which is, is really important, particularly for, for women as as they go on the other side of the menopause and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so, I've read about that, yeah. Yeah, and then, like you say, strength training. I am a big advocate of strength training. If, if you're not using it, it's very likely that you will lose it. So yeah. it's not just for, for running. I, I look at people later on in life, particularly people I look up to, and I think they look physically good and strong. Mm. Um, and they've obviously kept on top of that. And then I look at people who do nothing and I see them struggling with certain activities in everyday life. And I yeah. think, well, it's because you're not lifting and, and things like that. So I think it's really, really important. Um, stretching is an interesting one because uh, I, I go on about it all the time to people. Make sure it's in the plan. And yeah. I'm big. I stretch pretty much every day. Research recently over the last couple of years has said, you know what? Stretching is, is not an indication of performance whatsoever. We're going to take flexibility out of um, out of that equation. Flexibility has nothing to do with your performance levels. And I've, I've heard physios quite openly say, yep, yeah, you know what? You can kind of forget about your stretching. Um, I disagree with that like you do. I think yeah. it's... For, for me, and I think it maybe is individual depending, but as you get older, I find getting out the door harder. Mm-hmm. I find, as you said, you get just stiffer in general. Yeah. And I just feel better after I've stretched. That's why yeah, I do I, it. Bef- before I go out the door, I have to do at least 10, 15 minutes of like mobility, uh, a bit of stretching. It, a lot of it comes from like yoga kind of stuff, but it's just getting the joints moving as well. Like particularly my back and things like that and ankles and joints. You just need to you just need to move. Um because yeah, it's yeah, stuff getting out the door these days. And then I think we live more in a generation where we're sitting more as well. Oh and, yeah, um, absolutely. So you always got it tight, um hip flex yeah. and stuff like that chris chris brammer who's a really good physio who we know and we work, work closely with he's fantastic he's based over in manchester he once described it at the national running show as sitting is the new smoking and i was yeah. like yeah he's so right he's like there's literally a bit of a, a pandemic when it comes to back injuries and because people are just sitting so and much I'm more and slouching in there as well yes like the amount of shoulder rounded yeah. shoulders and like crooked necks like looking at your phone all the time checking instagram yeah, yeah. Uh, and everyone who's looking on YouTube will be seeing us doing the actual, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's true. And, and I know British Athletics, British Swimming did a big thing on this when people were traveling, not to be yeah. looking at their phones too much because they're just looking down at a screen. And yeah, that's yeah, not good th- for the I, neck. And a tip that I've done, another tip for you here. Um, I started not like, you know, you take your phone to bed and you have it on the, the table next to you just for an alarm or you can see the time. No, I don't have my phone in the room anymore. I started switching it off, which has been a game changer like my sleep is so much better. So that's a good tip for you. The phone thing, I'm going to back you up on that because yeah. my bedtime mode goes in at nine o'clock. Sometimes I break it. I've got a little bit of a bad habit at the minute just to check things again. But bedtime mode goes in at nine. It goes in the kitchen, goes on charge, doesn't come into the bedroom anymore. Yeah. We've got an old classic, not a classic alarm clock. I tried to go down the classic alarm clock route. That kind of backfired a little bit. So, But we do have something in the room, a Google speaker, where we can set the alarm. And it is game changing. I, I feel better for it. Um, you're not distracted. You're not having that screen time. I I look back and think, God, I used to get up on a morning. The first thing I do is lie in look bed, look phone. at my phone. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. The first thing I do, like, is face will come in, have a cuddle, 
and then she'll tell me. She'll tell me what she's been dreaming about or what we're doing today. Nice. Yeah, and I think that that first 10, 20 minutes in the morning is so important not to be looking at your phone. Yeah, and I, I think it's a really nice way to Like, what else could you be doing with your time, you know? Yeah. But uh, Gemma's dad once said to Gemma, which I really liked, and he'd obviously heard it somewhere else, but she was looking at her phone and he said, who's at the door? And she said, what? <laughs> he said, who's at the door? And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, well... Picking up your phone and looking at it so as regularly as you are, you wouldn't go and just keep opening your front door <laughs> to check if someone's there. I like that one. It's good, good, isn't one. it? I'm going to try that one. Yeah, I'm because, it, it. and it does, it kind of hits home going, why am I checking it? Yeah. Why am I looking it's to see if... So, it, it is. It is yeah. addictive. And I try not to look at it too much because with Faith being only three, if all she sees is me on a phone... Is that why she's four? She's going to be saying, can I have my phone? And yeah. I'm going to be glued to it as well. Because it's the norm yeah. then. And there's yeah. so much technology, not just phones, it's iPads and all the, yeah. the rest of it. So there's, there's almost too much of it around anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really good point and a really good tip to people. People talk about morning routines. You know, you see it a lot with business, uh, particularly people who are entrepreneurs and they say, I've got this morning routine. It was a game mm-hmm. changer for me. Um, I think a bedtime routine is more important get a good bedtime routine, make sure you're you're trying to sleep well. Sleep is such an important part of recovery and rest. And if you're sleeping well, then that's going to help your performance. So why not think about no screens within 90 minutes before bed, what you're drinking and eating, how are you resting the eyes down? I'm not saying you don't have to watch TV, but you might just want to start thinking about a few things that are going to help you to sleep better. Because I don't know about you, but I speak to a lot of people who I coach and they say, I really struggle with my sleep. Yeah, there's so many people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes you, I just can't get to sleep at night. And that, that, that brings me on to another thing that I've tried as well, is like breathing. Interesting. So explain a bit around that, because I, I worked on this late on my career. Gemma's currently working on it now. Um, why are you working on that, and how do you feel like it's you know beneficial to you? I think it just gives you that little bit of time to calm everything down, calm your mind down, stop stop whatever's racing through your mind. And it's just like, um, I think if you... You breathe in for four, hold for six, out for seven, really slow. And if you do that four times, you feel amazing afterwards. And then you're ready to go to sleep. There's little techniques, isn't there? I've read some recently. Dan Carter touched on it, the, the New Zealand rugby player. Um, there's lots of people talk about it on different podcasts. You know, the the big breaths in through the nose and, and slow, deep breaths out through the mouth. And it's all about calming down the central nervous system mm. as well. And I, I did it weirdly. Um, do you remember Rene, the, the physio? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Rene got me to work on my breathing, all for performance-related benefits. I used to put a tennis ball on my stomach and I used to watch the tennis ball go up uh, with my stomach so I was learning to belly breathe a little bit more. That's right, yeah, yeah. So I was breathing a little bit too much from, yeah. from the chest and yeah. becoming a little bit hunched. And honestly, I, I again, don't know whether it was mental or, or what, but it definitely helped. And even to this day, I still work on it. And I think it's just so important that people recognize that you can calm yourself down. If you're ever in a bit of a panic before a race, just stop. Yeah, you know, just go somewhere quiet and breathe. 100%. That's all you need to do. But you're doing that before bed, are you, to try and calm things down? Yeah, usually if I've got a lot of things on or I felt a bit stressed, then I'll just take a little bit of time to breathe. Um, yeah, big belly breath. Nice. And um, yeah, it kind of calms me down. Good. Okay, talking about tips and tricks, let's go marathon specific. So we talk, last week we spoke about our learnings as coaches yeah. and some of the mistakes we've made. Are there any mistakes that you've made, particularly in marathon buildups or in the marathon race itself, that you feel like would help educate our audience a little bit better? Uh, I think it's like have have a race plan. We always have a race plan. Some of us do, some of us don't. 
Um, but be flexible with that again. Like I've had the conversation with my athletes this morning. She's like, right, how do I, how, how shall I run this race? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you that every 5K because yeah. there's lots of different scenarios that might come up. So you have to have, have, to have a flexible plan about what you're going to do. I think if you think, right, I'm going to do this at 10K, this at 20K, and I'm going to do this, and you're not feeling it or something's happened, you're not managed to get a drink or anything like that, I think it is just reacting or responding, sorry, to the situation that you're in. Um, so have, a, have a, a loose plan, if you like. Have a plan, but it doesn't have to be set in stone. There's some really good examples of that, isn't there, over the last few years. Tom Orr springs to mind in my head in Kew Gardens when he did the marathon trial, mm. and he backed off after, like, one lap because it, it just didn't feel right. And yeah. um, he said in his head, if I'm going to finish this race, I need to, to back off. And, look, I'm going to forget about the guys at the front. I'm going to hope that they've got this wrong and they've cooked it a little mm. bit. But I'm actually just going to run my own race now. And it was a, you know, it shows that actually... Sometimes you don't feel good early on, yeah. but then in the last 10K, he was like, oh my God, I'm feeling amazing now. And he did all his running. So you're absolutely spot on. The thing I find the hardest with that, I'll, I'll be honest, is um, telling people to not just think about like visualizing their perfect race, but also visualizing things that might go wrong. Yeah. Because how are you going to respond to that yeah. if it starts to go wrong? And I think it is important for people to think about it yeah. because if they don't, they then panic in the yeah. race situation. So you're right. I think almost you need plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah. And think about all the scenarios that could crop up. Like, you know, you've got loads of people in front of you and you need to get around them. Like, don't panic. I've just got, I've got time to get around them. I need to relax and stay where I am. Uh, just things like that. It's, 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 again, it's just visualizing what could happen. So people are going to be sat at home going, well, how do I know what pace to set off at then? Because, for, you know, if I've got like this loose pace, race plan, because um, people always say to me, right, I want to aim for this time and that means I need to run these splits absolutely bang on. Mm. My first response to that is, well, you're not going to run those splits every single mile. So let's get that one out of your head because it's going to be impossible to run at that split every single mile. But how do you approach it in terms of your pacing strategy what sort of things go through your head or what conversation do you have with your coach uh so i i pretty again it depends on the course so if you're talking something like valencia or berlin it's pretty flat actually berlin's got a little bit of a climb 25 to 30k which you need to bear in mind because definitely your splits can drop off so if you're doing something that has a bit of a climb at some point you need to think right at this point i may drop five seconds per k and yeah. that's okay I'm going to feel comfortable with that. Um, so it's going back to looking at that. And as well, it depends if you're you're an even split kind of person or do you like to negative split. Mm. For me, as even as possible. Right, so and you're, you're like trying to, to get it even. Yeah. So I think Berlin, there was like a four-second differential. Okay, perfect. Um, which is good. So I basically like to find my rhythm. That rhythm is going to feel a whole lot easier in the first half of that race. Yeah. Yeah, but get to halfway smiling is always my... And then the race for me starts at 30K as long as I'm in a good place. So roughly just before 20 miles is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, that's where it's going to start to get painful. That's where I really got to dig deep. Got you. Um, and stay, stay, stay on those splits if I can. So that's a very even approach. Like you say, some people prefer the negative split going off a little bit slower and then getting into the rhythm that way. So if they've, they've, obviously, if they practice that in training, it'd be like, right, okay, um, for example, we're going to go off at 4.15s and then maybe look to run 4.10s at halfway and then yeah. maybe we can knock it down to 4.05s. 
that's a completely different way of running it, but there's nothing wrong with that either. No, and I, I agree because I think the word individual is, is so yeah. important here. I've got a couple of people racing this weekend in Valencia and I know the different type of quirks they have as an mm. athlete. I also know what it would do them to, to them mentally if they were too far behind schedule. Yeah. Um, some people are r- rhythm runners. Once they get in that rhythm, they're going to stick there. Yeah. But there's also those people who just respond really well to just picking it up. And yeah. like they, they love that positive energy, that momentum of passing people. Whereas some people don't necessarily like that because they start seeing people slow down and suffering and they almost get that thing in their head, oh, oh what, that might be me soon. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got to be really kind of focused, staying in your lane yeah. and going, no, I'm, I'm passing everyone, this feels great. But yeah, I think there's something to be said. I'd say, would you agree the biggest mistake people make though is they go off way too fast and end up yeah, paying the price? Yeah, I think the, the problem is they've done all this hard work and then they have a couple of weeks taper and they're feeling, they're bouncing off the walls. They've yeah. got so much energy, they haven't done much and it's like, and I think as well, it's it's the atmosphere. I mean, come on, the marathon is amazing. It's such an amazing day. The atmosphere, the people there, and people just get a little bit carried away, a bit like the Great North Road, and they're like, they go off, they're like, I feel amazing. Of course you're going to feel amazing. Like, you're in the first 5, 10K. It's, I was saying to someone this morning, it's at that point where you have to be really disciplined and patient with yourself. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to stay here because there's a lot of running to do. So... The the answer I always give to that when people say, oh, what, this is when people have kind of gone a bit too fast mm. and then they maybe got it wrong a little bit. And we've all been there. Look, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've been there. I've done it. Yeah. I've felt the pain. Um, But they always say, yeah, but it felt so easy. And I'm just like, what were you expecting? Supposed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, brilliant. Yeah. That's exactly Let, what it should do. When you hit 20 miles. Yeah. yeah. It should feel easy. You yeah. know, you're 5K in to 42Ks. Yeah. So let's just chill a little bit. I think you, you're absolutely bang on. Um, patience, trust in yourself, yeah. trust in your strategy, not getting carried away with someone else's race, where yeah. maybe people around you, um, and, and believing in yourself. But then a question we get often asked at different events that we do is, when it does get tough, so for you, you're saying 30K, that's mm-hmm. when the race starts. People say the marathon starts at 20 miles, very similar. What What are you thinking then? How are you getting through those deep patches? Because I think it's fair to say we do all have our ups and downs within those longer races as well. Yeah. So I'm going to share a little secret with you. I have this diary that I write the week before and it's I have it every 5K. Um, I have a, I have like a, an affirmation or a nice. key word. Like okay? a mantra. Yes. So like the first, the first 5K would be like, um, soak the atmosphere up, nice. relax, be patient. And when you get towards like 35, it's be brave. Yeah. Um, stay focused. I've got this. Um, you can do this. Or my other one is carpe diem. Oh, nice. Seize, Seize the, the day. day. Yeah. And then my latest one is have faith. Oh, because of yeah, faith and name faith. and love yeah. it. Yeah. So you can see the gradual change. Yeah. Um, when I'm having a bad patch, this sounds really weird, but I know other people that do it as well, is I count to 100. Count to yeah. 100 continuously. It's just, it's just as say I choose my left foot. Okay, it sounds really weird. Choose my left foot and I'll just count to 100. Every time that foot hits the ground, 100. Mm-hmm. Hit 100, start again. One, two, three. And I'll do that until I relax and stop, you know, stop having a panic. And then I'll, yeah. and then I'll just continue. 
it was a Paula tactic, wasn't it? She used to use it a lot. Paula Radcliffe yeah. did, and um, I, I that was my go-to, literally the same. And yeah. the only marathon I ever ran when I paced Gemma about oh, ten miles in or something. I just I, it was actually a big mistake, and again a big learning for me. I seen the water station coming up last minute, and I was responsible for grabbing my own bottles because it yeah, was pacing. Yeah. Um, so I darted across, and I kind of it was a ridiculous dart, you know, when you mm-hmm. kind of switch the side. And I came back out of the, the water station and I just got back to my room and my hip was like, oh, I didn't like that. And the first thing I did was go back to the 100, like yeah. get you 100. And I'm the same way. You almost forget about counting, don't you, when you're feeling all right again? Yeah. It just goes to the back of your mind. Yeah. But it's, it helps. I think, what, distraction, do you think? Or? I think it is. And it just, again, it's a bit like the breathing. Obviously, you can't you can't do your, your relaxing breathing at that point. So I think it is a bit like that. It just calms your mind because you're not thinking of anything else. Yeah. Just the counting. One, two. So question on the mantras. Do you write them on your hand or is there too many of them? Oh, there's too many of them. I've got like a little diary. Do you know, I love like, I love colouring in and things like that. Mindful colouring, I call it. So I make this like, it's got like Valencia 23 and I colour all the letters in. And then I've got my keywords and they're all different colours because I like different colours and things like that. So it's almost like because I've written it down, I can see it in my head. Nice. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I do as well um, is write um, like a timetable of exactly what I'm going to do on the day because it stops me stressing about. So I'll literally say, right, okay, at 5 a.m., wake up, alarm. And then it'll be like 7.30, get dressed, or 7 o'clock, have my breakfast, um, 8 o'clock, warm up. And I'll literally, again, I'll have it written down so I know exactly what I've got to do at what time. I don't have to think about it then. We're so similar, Sonia. Literally yeah. the same, like in so many respects. And, and it's got me thinking like on the spot and I'm just being truthful here is like Gemma and I always, you know, we admire you and we look at you and say you always, you seem to get the best out of yourself on race day. Like you, mm-hmm. we see you train and you can really raise your game in, in a race. You know, you, you perform really well. And um, I used to kind of pride myself a little bit on, you know, raising my game in, in championships and things. And people used to say, oh, you must be so mentally strong. I actually think in a way it's the opposite. I was so prepared yeah. mentally. I had everything written down that I didn't have to think. All my energy was on the race. Yeah, And like, it is people say, oh, you always seem so together. It's like it's not. I have the same fears as everybody else yeah. on that start line. We're all excited, we're all nervous, we're all scared about what could happen, what what might not happen or whatever. But it's just, again, it's it's having belief and trusting what you've done. Yeah. Like you're saying, being prepared, well, like when, having those words. When people say you seem so together, you seem so calm and collected, well, you are because you've done the preparation beforehand. Yeah, yeah. You've done the work and, and the mind likes that doesn't yeah. like overthinking, doesn't like panicking. We, we're actually producing, Jen's currently producing this like a, a marathon checklist or a race checklist, I should say. And it does have like timings on there that people who are going to be able to print off or download on their phone. It's like a PDF or a, a document that they can adapt. And it's for that reason that you've got something. Have you packed all these things? Check it off. Yeah. How, have you got your timings down? Have you done, done these in the right order? And people can then create their own little plan. I think it's so, so important for people to consider that as yeah. they go into those big, big challenges. Absolutely. Brill. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave with one, one final question. Okay. Yeah. If there's anybody sat there thinking, um, I've not done a marathon before. I'm tempted you know, I'm tempted to go up to that 26.2 miles. What advice would you give them? 
do you know what? I'd go for it because there is nothing like going across that finish line in a marathon. I remember my first marathon, I just cried. I was like, oh my, I've just done it. I've just run a marathon. It's just an amazing feeling. I can't, so you got to go and find out for yourself. Yeah. People can tell you how amazing it is. You got to do it yourself. I, I'm not going to add anything to that. I've, I've done a marathon, but I think that's the perfect answer. Just go and find yourself. Go and find it out for yourself. Brill. Well, thank you, Sonia, and best of luck come the weekend. I will be there cheering with the flag. And on that uh, note of mantras, we've created a flag, an NLC flag. It's going to be out there on course. And we went for every moment matters. So we're hoping people can see that yeah. on their way around. Uh, it was a saying that Jen brought to one of the team meetings once. We thought everyone can relate to that, that every moment does matter for us as a team. Yeah. But I think in fitting uh, in line with what you've just said, you know, every marathon moment does matter to every individual yes, yeah. and it matters a whole heap. So hopefully that'll give people plenty of inspiration on the roads out there. I will be cheering. If you're joining us in Valencia, then I look forward to seeing you there. If you're racing elsewhere, then best of luck and best of luck with all your training as well. Remember taper down. It's one thing we haven't um, touched on is the taper and the peaking. But yeah. Sonia, you are tapering, right? You're peaking? Def- definitely. Good. You should be. <laughs> um, maybe we'll do a whole episode on peaking and into tapering into races. Yeah. We've touched on it on other episodes episodes before um thanks very much for tuning in remember if you want to find out more about new levels coaching you can head to our website newlevelscoaching.co.uk sonia is one of our coaches there so if you'd like to find out more about being coached by sonia for a potential marathon then please do get in touch and we can connect you and if you are enjoying the podcast please remember to like share it please and and send us some feedback and some comments because we love seeing that feedback come in but yes in the meantime enjoy your training enjoy your racing and we'll see you all again very very soon